Welcome, everyone, to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am Neil Pollock, King of the Monsters, and the Editor-in-Chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com, the finest pop culture publication on the entire internet. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much more, and we have a weekly show, which you're listening to right now. And this week, we're going to talk about three movies in theaters now, three movies of varying quality, uh, in my opinion. First, we're going to talk about Wonka with uh, Stephen Garrett. Well, Stephen Garrett's not in Wonka, but he's going to be here to talk to me about Wonka. My opinion about Wonka has softened somewhat since I talked to Stephen Garrett a couple of days ago about it, but I still find it uh, really kind of cloying and flawed. We're also going to talk to our new contributor, London Faust about Godzilla Minus One, which is an excellent Godzilla film from Japan. And also we're going to talk to Pablo Gayaga about the Hayao Miyazaki animated film The Boy and the Heron, which is currently playing in theaters and will soon appear on streaming services. It's a rich buffet of excellent uh, and interesting films this week. Please tune in right after these important interludes and listen to our our very well-informed opinions. I got an idea. Where do we start? Making chocolate, of course. Run away! Every good thing in this world started with a dream. So you hold on to yours. Ba loompa doopity doo. I've got another <laughs> movie to talk about with Stephen Garrett. That's, hey, you tried. Yeah, not so bad. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. It actually works pretty, work, <laughs> pretty well. All right. So obviously, we're talking about Wonka, because a much dreaded and long, not long awaited, maybe some people have been awaiting it, uh, prequel to uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, whatever the 1971 Gene Wilder movie was called. It has arrived in theaters. It stars Timothy Chalamet as a spry, optimistic, young Willy Wonka who arrives in some unnamed European-ish city and begins to delight everyone with his twee delightfulness. And I don't know about you, Stephen. I think I know how you feel about this movie, given that you gave it two stars on Book and Film Globe. But I, I think that's I think two stars is about right. It, this this is a, uh, a a dreadfully saccharine picture that really to my mind, does not capture the spirit of the original uh, movie at all, or very rarely. Well, it's interesting, too. It's like, you know, uh, uh, is it is it going after the spirit of the movie? Is it going after the spirit of the book? I mean, I feel like they probably never read the book or even any Roald Dahl book because it's just not the spirit of Roald Dahl, is my feeling. No, it's too sweet. It's too sweet. It's too optimistic. It's too gee whiz. It's poorly plotted. Uh, you know, here, basically, here's what happens within the first five minutes of the movie. Willy Wonka arrives in the city and ends up getting thrown in the basement of a laundromat owned by Olivia <laughs> Coleman. And in the basement of the laundromat, he along with other people, he has to live with uh, Carson, the butler from Downton Abbey and uh, Rich Fulcher from the Mighty Boosh, the British uh, avant garde comedy series. Those are just two of the characters. And then there's this orphan named Noodle. Um, who was like, or she's literally like the um, the uh, Covenzene Wallace's little orphan Annie. You know, she's a black. Actually, yeah, I forgot about that. 
curly-haired black orphan. She doesn't have a dog, but she does have a lovely singing voice. And, you know, she wistfully looks out the window and wonders where her mommy is. And then you have Timothy Chalamet, who somehow, like, even though he's being held prisoner in an evil laundromat, um, somehow still is able to make chocolates and delight the people of of the city and dance around. And it's just, it's just, it's absurd. The, the, The story makes no sense. Um, the villains are cartoon beyond cartoonish. A lot of the humor feels really bad and forced, and I, I just really dislike this film. So I, I, okay, so that said, I, I was torn about the two stars. I, you know, two stars is usually left for. I found myself writing it and then realizing how angry the film made me because I really during the watching of it, I watched it with my family, and we all laughed and we all had a good time, but. You know, I had that nagging sensation as it went on thinking this is really mindless and just awful in terms of its conception and and the execution and and the just the the whole purpose of it, you know. Hey, but I still laughed. I laughed. I thought the songs were were clever and hummable and uh, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. The lyrics were well written and and I also I also liked Hugh Grant played the there's only one Oompa Loompa in the show and he's played by Hugh Grant. And I felt like he was the one, he was the only person with an, with a real twinkle in his eye as opposed to the fake twinkle that the rest of the, the cast had. And uh, oh, I, I disagree. When he, sh- and he shows up and he does the Oompa Loompa song and it, you know, it feels to some extent like the old movie that that's, that's how, that's how I felt. I was happy when he showed up. I, I was happy through the whole thing, but then I realized how empty the whole thing was, and that got me angry, you know? But more than that, like, again, going to the conception or misconception, if you read the, the description of the Oompa Loompas is really not at all like the, the, the depiction of them in the 1971 Mel Stewart movie, right? The orange skin and the green hair and the white overalls and the chocolate-covered shirts, like, and they're just weird, like, demeanor they're, they're kind of stone-faced demeanor. Like, they're fascinatingly creepy and weird and hilarious. Of course, if they're going to say one thing, it's going to be that, and I understand why. But uh, it's not necessarily a Roald doll sort of invention, the way that they look. And yet they salvage the orange skin and the green hair and the overall shape and size, which is a kind of a dwarfish size, let's be honest. And, and yet they make Hugh Grant this thing. I mean, this weird, I say thing only because it's neither fish nor fowl, right? Because they put Hugh Grant's head on it, you know? But dude, why is he dressed like a like a British dandy? Why is he wearing knickerbockers? And like, he he's absurd. Like, what is happening? You can't give the part to Peter Dinklage. I mean, you could. Why not? He would have been fine as it, but I mean, that's not that's not the point. I, I feel like the Oompa Loompas are this very strange, totally unfathomable, fascinating race. And yet they just decided to make it Hugh Grant, but like with orange skin and, and green hair. You know what I mean? Like even the other version that uh, Tim Burton made, right, in 2005, like he had this guy who's a character actor, this Indian character actor who he'd actually used in other movies of his. And he just made him into an Oompa Loompa and made like he like cloned him basically, like digitally cloned him so that there'd be hundreds of them doing strange dances. And in a weird way, I felt that was actually more faithful to the book. Or certainly a callback to the original movie. But this, I was like, what are you even doing? And we saw other Oompa Loompas in that Oompa Loompa Land flashback that he literally farted out of his ass, which I was like, what is that? Uh, but then did you notice like the, the, um, the other, a couple of the other Oompa Loompas were dressed like Swiss guards from the Vatican, which also brings up the whole like, what the hell city is this taking place in? And the whole weird magpie city that's vaguely or not vaguely but strongly european but vaguely 
um, has any sense of nationalism. German or Swiss? Yeah, it's like the Belgian, Belgian. It was more like Belgium. But uh, but I believe I believe Stephen that the original uh, Willy Wonka universe is in London. Absolutely and fully and frankly, like I mean, do you really think that Roald Dahl would settle for less? Like he was so British, and the whole point of his books were from a British point of view. He wouldn't just pick some nondescript European city that clearly was you know, a creation of uh, some, some, you know, uh, Warner Brothers committee that said it'll sell better in Europe if we don't specify where it is. Well, you make a good point that this feel this feels like a movie that was conceived of by a committee that was, you know, cynically engineered to market itself as a feel good comedy for parents and kids. Um, and, and, you know, it was all about chocolate. But the thing, the thing about, the original Willy Wonka is that he was kind of a lunatic and a menace and was, and was, yeah, and was scary. And when he would, even though these kids who won the golden tickets deserved what they got, it was still frightening to watch Veruca Salt go down the tubes or watch that <laughs> woman turn into a blueberry or watch the guy get the kid get sucked into yeah. a TV. It was terrifying. Or Mike TV or Augustus Gloop. And incidentally, what great names, right? Like, come on. Better than Noodle. It was, you know, whereas Noodle, Noodle, nothing, she's the only child in the movie, the only one. And she literally is like, gee whiz, mister, the whole time. That's her only function. And, you know, yes, she's clever and she's cute and she sings and dances with Timothy Chalamet. But, you know, it just it you know, you never get the sense that she's really in danger. You never get the sense that, um, you know, she has a real personality or any flaws, which I think is the problem with a lot of these characters is other than the villains who are nothing but flaws. These characters they're all so good. Ugh. So cloyingly, annoyingly good. Yes, absolutely. Give me some flaws. Makes you more interesting. Sickly sweet. And also like Willy Wonka's rise to, you know, to, as the, the most popular chocolatier in town and the building of the store and then the destruction of the, I mean, I'm giving it all away, but it all just kind of like happens and you don't really see how or why it happens. It's like, it's like a, it's, you know, it's like a bad Broadway musical, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's like, also you mentioned that store. It's like in the space of a week, he suddenly has a store. And in the space of a week, he suddenly loses a store. So it's kind of like easy come, easy go. Like In the space of a day. In the space of a day, yeah, exactly. Uh, a, five, a five minute, a five minutes. <laughs> you know, there were... There were some good side gags. I I, I um, liked the Oompa Loompas more than you did, but you know there was like he makes these eclairs that allow bald men to grow hair, and a hairless cat eats one of them and becomes a Manx cat. Like that, that was kind of cute. You know, there were some there were some moments where you know, and I thought you know Olivia Coleman and her her you know whatever her paramour was the laundry. I mean, she was you know she was clearly um, enjoying her like you know it was kind of like a PG Sweeney Todd. Bit <laughs> exactly <yeah. laughs> that she was doing, you know, it's like Oliver Twist, but without the without the menace, you know, and that's that's just kind of sums up the whole uh, the whole enterprise of Wonka, you know. It's like you know, you take better musicals about orphans like Annie and Oliver, and then you just you sprinkle them with dew. <laughs> and, yeah, sugar and spice and everything nice. Cover cover them with chocolate and a miracle or two. <laughs> So Paul King is the guy, right? The the guy who directed this yeah. and co-wrote it. And, and he did these kind of those Paddington movies, which were frankly delightful. And this movie is delightful in a lot of ways. It's just delightful in such a cynical, empty, cloying, 
frustratingly misguided way that it was hard for me to really, I, I cannot hate it. Delightful TM. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you cannot hate it. I, on the other hand, I can hate it. I'm going to hate it. I'm just going to be the hater. I'm going to be the Wonka hater. I'm going to be the guy who makes fun of Wonka and the cynical old man who makes fun of Wonka on Facebook and know, you know, and, and, and get frustrated when it makes $40 million <laughs> opening yeah, weekend. There you go. Exactly. Because it's you, happening. You Wonka mania. You just want Gene Wilder. That's all. And and I don't blame you. I mean, who does? Well, he's, he is in heaven with his true love, Gilda Radner. Oh, God bless. <sighs> well, yeah, I know. He's I know. having a better weekend than most of us then. Yeah, meanwhile, the rest of us are, are going to the movies and seeing Wonka and um, then uh, going home and eating me- mediocre chocolate, mostly, mostly <laughs> mediocre chocolate that doesn't make you fly or, 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 or make your dick big or whatever. It's just, just regular, <laughs> re- regular, regular old chocolate, <laughs> chocolate Viagra. <laughs> There you go. There you anyway, go. Anyway, that's, anyway, that's the adult Wonka I want to see. <laughs> the adult Wonka. Um, all right, uh, Willie Wonka. It's not called Willie. That would, the adult Wonka would be called Willie. There you go. Hey, hey. Uh, but Wonka. <laughs> this thing writes itself. Well, yeah, for sure. Wonka, a movie for children and adults who are, have the minds of children, is in theaters now, and you watch it, and you'll come out humming. You'll be come out humming a tune, but not like a specific tune. Just like a vague, a, a vague, yes, just a very like chocolate, vague, chocolate, 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 chocolate. Exactly, a, a vaguely not unpleasant but very ephemeral uh, cloying tune that you'll forget the next day. Doompity do. It's been a great year for movies, but one of the biggest surprises for me at the movies this year was Godzilla Minus One, which came out in December uh, this month and uh, set a record for the most money ever made by a Japanese language film at the American box office. And I went to see Godzilla minus one this week as we're talking. And I understand why now. I mean, it is a terrific film. In fact, I I think it's one of the best movies this year. I I was shocked. I've never felt that way about a Godzilla movie before. And our contributor, new contributor, London Faust, wrote about Godzilla minus one for Book and Film Globe and is here today to talk to me about it. Hello. Yeah, hi. Um, I I have to uh, probably agree uh, with regards to um, having not uh, felt this way about uh, Godzilla uh, here to this point. I'm not a hundred percent familiar with the um, you know the 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 schlockier aspects of the Godzilla canon. Um, I am I honestly might lean that way. However, I was definitely more mixed on the two more acclaimed uh, recent efforts to uh, recapture uh, Gojira in 1954, that being um, Gareth Edwards' 2014 film, which is called Godzilla and uh, Shin Godzilla by Hideaki Anno, who I love, but it was not my favorite work of his. But this, I, I really prefer. Yeah, I mean, I, this was great. I haven't seen those, although I, I'm familiar with the the moder- I, modern um, sort of Godzilla versus Kong 
movie. Well, Godzilla versus Kong, which came out, I think, in 2021. Uh, and, you know, Kong Skull Island. Those were a lot of fun in the in the sort of the classic, you know, Godzilla, you know, giant monster fests of, of monsters just beating the crap out of each other away. But but Godzilla minus one is um is surprising because it has it just has a lot of emotional depth. And it just as a as a film, I just feel like it's incredibly well crafted. Right. Well, like I said in my piece, the um, project that a lot of them, or at least those two um, attempts that I mentioned, um, it has been to try and you know create that depth and um, give the the humanity, which is you know requisite for um, a mainstream film, um, the the import that it deserves or that you would hope uh, for in a, a Godzilla picture, which has the reputation of the, the humanity being boring. Um, well, the 1954 film is a, probably more experimental to that angle because it is not uh, really all that traditional of a narrative. It almost has um, that original um, disaster picture, a uh, cast of thousands, but it has, um, I would probably say it does um, to that degree, but like, you know, even to the point that like, uh, a Roland Emmerich film, um, you know, will focus on a whole bunch of different characters. It does so even less to that degree. So you could call it probably borderline experimental. I am still waiting on a Godzilla picture that, you know, has pretty much no humans except for maybe them screaming and running and like almost zero close-ups. <laughs> I think that would be really interesting. But um, to the extent that this is a, a more traditional drama, it's uh, highly functional. It's actually, it's just the conceit itself uh, is is very moving. Um, I did have uh, some issues with the execution, but it is uh, a quality picture just on strength of concept for sure. Well, agreed. So here's the deal. Like the, 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 the basic setup is that you've got a kamikaze pilot mm-hmm. at the end of World War II who chickens out of his mission and flies to a remote Pacific Island where there's uh, to get his plane repaired, but he doesn't really need his plane repaired. And there he encounters Godzilla for the first time. And so this, this pilot basically like has a series of encounters with Godzilla in the aftermath of the atomic bomb dropping and the bikini atoll test, which, you know, historically has created uh, Godzilla. And so there, so he, he, his fate and Godzilla's fate, are intertwined in this highly emotional way. And there's a lot of very, I, I feel like historical uh, grappling with the legacy of World War II on Japanese society, um, which I, which was part of the 1954 movie as well. But obviously there's a lot more distance now in 2023. So um, they're able to sort of view it in a, in a sort of a more intelligent and sophisticated way. And I found that context, it, it gave the movie uh, just a little more depth than your average uh, movie. And let's also not forget the fact that the the non-CGI effects of Godzilla are actually scary as hell in this. So that actually adds an extra layer. Right, yeah. He looks like really just terrifying and gross and just his ugliness is incredible. Uh, in the film, um, just the the look of him is uh, there's um, no <clears throat> lingering, uh, you know, nostalgia, heroics, or whatever that there might be, because it is uh, in the vein of the 1954 picture, in which he's also really horrifying. And uh, that film, I always think there's think of one particular scene where he's like looming over some mountains or something, um, and the people are all like ducking down. 
And uh, I've always been really scared of like giants and stuff. Um, I really love Attack on Titan, uh, the series. There was a, I want to say this was written by the folk singer uh, Pete Seeger. There was a book called Abby Yo-Yo uh, when I was a uh, like six, six-year-old. Um, and uh, that was about like a giant who was uh, alleged to be mythical, but then was not. And that always scared the crap out of me. And uh, so that really, um, just the, the sense of scale um, of something and the, you know, the diminishing uh, that it does to, you know, a human life. Um, is something that this film really captures uh, as well. I thought the Edwards uh, in 2014 did that, but the attempt at you know the humanization there was quite laughable. It was it was pretty much pure just indie texture um, and no you know actual you know deepening of humanity, which is really achieved here. And I think that you know to pit the scale of uh, a kaiju picture against a life that is already really diminished uh, by country and uh failed duty and everything just how miserable he is is uh is is moving in itself yeah well i mean that's the thing is japan uh in this movie is like staggering in the aftermath of world war ii and then they have to deal with a truly existential threat um you know in the form of this horrific nuclear monster uh that they didn't even create themselves and so i mean it just it just gave the movie uh, to me so much depth. And I feel like the, you know, the American Godzilla movies, you know, and you're right. It's like a Roland Emmerich style where, yeah, they have human characters who are facing human threats, but it's a cartoon. It's, you know, they're fa- it's, it's a cartoon because there's no real context. Whereas I feel like this movie really grapples with it. And then there's also just like fun side characters. You know, there's the airplane mechanic who comes back and then there's the, there's the whole jaws aspect where they have this wooden boat and they're trawling for mines and they end up encountering Godzilla and that whole crew. Right. Um, you know, and the, the female lead is, um, has a bit of depth, you know, she's a war orphan and there's a little cute little kid. There's just, it's just got, a, this movie has a lot going on and people are, I think when I've been recommending it highly, they're shocked that I like it so much. And I'm like, listen, it just it really delivers in in the old fashioned way that we liked movies to deliver. Right, it's definitely um, not only is it just like a straight drama; it is, uh, in fact, very old fashioned. It, it really is um, right out of something that you might see, um, at least narrative wise, in a uh, Mizuguchi or Ozu. Now, I do think that um, it is uh, my issue with it is definitely that it. It, it, it has that, you know, that big, loud, hammy uh, Japanese performance mode. Now, I really love, I really love um, gonzo cinema, and I don't have a problem with something being hammy to begin with at all. And I cherish uh, so much of that uh, kind of picture, you know, the Tsukamoto, the uh, Obayashi, all that stuff is incredible. Um, but uh, yeah, I think what, it would have really behooved this picture to be a lot more pared down. I suppose that you know that that more you know direct loud uh, emotive quality m- makes it makes it a little more digestible to a mainstream audience. Now I, I probably wouldn't have done that, but you know. Yeah, I mean it, it is it's broad and melodramatic. Yeah. I'll give you that. And some of some of the performances are not exactly you know they're, it's not going to win any acting Oscars by any stretch. Uh, you know this is not a, a Kira Kurosawa movie. Um, you know it's not a work of art in in, in that way. You know, but it is. It's it's so close to an Ozu or a, a, a um, Mizuguchi that you want it to be, though. You know, close. It's close enough. And again, yeah. like I mean, 
it, it close enough so that you can you can see the the potential. Um, but what it, this it, what Godzilla minus one is is the best Godzilla movie ever made. I think I can say that without reservation. Um, and that you know we're we're in a world where there's going to be a lot more Godzilla movies. I mean, there's a Godzilla versus Kong sequel coming out next year, and I guarantee you that it, it there's going to be some fun fights in that. But it's not going to have the uh, the same human quality that this one does. Yeah, well, it definitely outstrips, um, you know, I, I, Godzilla King of Monsters in 2019. I thought that was just terrible. That was one of the, like, the worst movies of the entire decade because it there was, like, no monster fighting, for one thing, and the humans weren't compelling at all. It was, you know, the, this uh, this mode of um, post-Dark Knight, you know, does the villain have a point? And it's like, but you are not an intelligent enough film to be, you know, making this uh, uh, criticism, yeah. you know, um, and... So this this uh, picture doesn't really attempt that, um, but it, again, it is a, a straight drama uh, through and through. And I really think it's a lot better than Shin Godzilla, as well, which I just found kind of dull. Like I understood that it was uh, like a comedy, but um, it, I, I really think you know the fact that um, we have the actual you know emotional depth of this, which Shin Godzilla doesn't attempt. It's more uh, more nihilistic, but I didn't find the depth in that uh either as opposed to this i I really think it's better yeah you either need monster fighting or human depth or preferably both but that's a lot to ask for but regardless uh godzilla minus one is well worth seeing and if you want to um find a a website that takes its godzilla analysis seriously you you could do worse than reading book and film globe london faust thank you so much for really calling this movie to my attention and for stopping by to talk to me about it today yeah appreciate it is this place this world is filled with the dead I know it's a lie but I have to see I'm looking for someone let's go we must protect this world ourselves go back now I go I go A gray heron once told me that all gray herons are liars. So is that the truth or a lie? A the lie. truth. The same weekend that Godzilla Minus One surprised people by its amazing performance at the box office, the number one movie in the U.S. was also a Japanese language movie. Uh, this was an animated film from Hayao Miyazaki, the... Uh, animator who brought us Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle and My Neighbor Totoro and many other classics from Studio Ghibli. Uh, This is his latest and some say his last film, The Boy and the Heron. And I, you know, I have to admit, it's kind of a strange movie to be number one at the box office because it's kind of a strange movie, like a lot of Miyazaki movies. And it's, in my opinion, definitely not his best movie. Uh, Pablo Gallaga reviewed it for us for Book and Film Globe, and he's here today to talk to me about it, and I believe he agrees with my assessment uh, about where the boy and the heron fits in uh, in Miyazaki's uh, canon. Hello, Pablo. Hey, Neil. And yes, I do agree. Yeah, so, you know, this film is is surprisingly um, unappealing <laughs> in, to my mind. I mean, it's beautiful to look at in a, in a lot of places, and there are some cool uh, visuals and, and some kind of weird character design that was fun. You know, these the giant parakeets, uh, behaving in very strange ways um, in this alternate dimension. 
you know, they were both kind of hilarious and creepy. But the, the whole thing just, I felt the narrative uh, to be extremely um, confusing. It was also kind of just paint by numbers coming of age. Um, I mean, for me, it left me cold simply because I've, you know, I love Miyazaki's previous films. And to me, it felt like nothing I hadn't seen before necessarily from him. There was um, that initial scene at the beginning when uh, Mihito's mother dies in the fire. Like the style of that animation was very different from anything I've ever seen from Studio uh, Ghibli before. And uh, I think they had other studios working with them on the film. Potentially, I'm not positive about this, but I think uh, UFO Table, uh, who works on Demon Slayer, may have also worked on the film. But no, it just, the pacing was a little off. And it, again, just like a very typical, and, it, and it's supposed to be grounded a little bit more in this, you know, semi-autobiographical Miyazaki story of like when he was growing up in, in Japan. So that, that maybe explains it. But compared to something like Spirited Away, it will not knock you on your ass. Right. Well, you know, the, the premise is that uh, this young boy moves to the country with his father, who is a... I called him a war profiteer uh, when I talked about this on Facebook, although people argued that he he's just making airplane parts for kamikaze pilots. I, I don't really see the difference. but he's, <laughs> he, he, I don't see the difference either. His dad is a rich munitions manufacturer um, who, uh, after his mother dies in a hospital fire, marry, knocks up and marries his aunt, um, and then they move to this country estate that is also the location of this mysterious tower it's kind of like the tower from uh, you know, the Annihilation series. I don't know if you're familiar with those those books and movies, but it, it transports uh, this it was a lighthouse, boy. right? Sorry to interrupt. Like it was a lighthouse in Annihilation, right? Yeah, in Annihilation, but it's the same thing. It's like a tower, right? And it's and a yeah, tower. Yeah, yeah. It's a tower with extra dimensional um, powers, and uh, it transports this boy into another world, and he's guided there by the Heron. Uh, who is a very morally ambiguous character who may also just be a man wearing a heron costume. They never really explain the physics of all that or what's going on there. And the heron is, is a very strange guide because he's not really the boy's friend. Uh, he Sometimes he helps him, sometimes he doesn't help him. It's hard to kind of get a, get a handle on the heron. It's a grudging alliance between the two. I mean, they have this wizard step in and basically he orders the heron to help uh, Mahito in this quest to, well, first of all, um, his aunt goes missing. Uh, Netsuko goes missing uh, randomly in the night. So, you know, he at first he obviously doesn't care because that's his stepmother and he doesn't really like her. But then, you know, this wizard tells him, go find her. And he has to work with the bird and they have to go and uh, find her. And yeah, they, they don't like each other and it's, it's a funny situation, right? Like you have this weird bird. It should be. It should be. It should be funnier than it was. Well, that's the whole thing. The movie should have been funnier than it was. It should have been more exciting than it was. It should have been more awe-inspiring than it was, given that he, he is in this sort of mystical, unnamed mystical land. And there's sort of a nod to like the multiverse. There's this hall with a bunch of different doors and a bunch of different realities. And it's like, here we go again with the, now Miyazaki is giving us this multiverse. I don't know. The The movie just kind of left me cold. It, it felt to me like uh, it, these were the, you know, the notes from someone who hasn't been told no in a very long time. And he's earned that right at this point. And I mean, it's I it's not going to be his final film. His producers are already saying that he's tinkering with other ideas and this he'll likely do another film after this. But as it stands right now and in the context of his career, as I mentioned in my review, I think 
you know, he, he's wrestling with legacies, you know, hoping to leave a message behind for the younger audiences of living a selfless life. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of what the takeaway is supposed to be. And it's not meant to be kind of like the other films that he's done. And that's not what people are expecting. I think when you go and sit down for this, you think you're going to get spirited away. Right. And I just feel like that message is a little bit lost because the plot is confusing and the the metaphysics are confusing and the end is kind of abrupt and weird. And so it just it just doesn't quite work. Yeah, I've had a number of people say the same things. The the ending being abrupt, uh, some confusion, especially towards the end, the pacing, like everyone's kind of seeing the same thing here. But, you know, it's Miyazaki and getting to see Miyazaki on the big screen is kind of a treat in and of itself. But yeah, I think everyone's having the same reaction. But but let's talk real quick about, okay, so we, we, we understand that this is a flawed film. You gave it three stars. Uh, I would probably, you know, I'd have to pretty much do the same. Uh, but let's talk for a second about like the, this amazing um, year um, at the box office uh, and artistically for Japanese cinema, right? You had, you had, this movie was extremely uh, successful. Uh, the Godzilla minus one, which we, just talked about in a previous segment. I don't know if you've seen that this yet, but I thought that movie was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and then uh, Suzume, which uh, you wrote about in Book and Film Globe in your best uh, genre films of the year roundup, uh, which is a, a, an anime that didn't make as much money as The Boy and the Heron, but is in your, in your mind better. And and there have been other films as well. And it's just, it's kind of amazing to see uh, Japanese film kind of come to the forefront again uh, after Korean movies um, have been um, dominating them for so long. Yeah, I think part of it is a function of just the popularity of anime in the West now. It's just a thing we've talked about before. It's done well at the box office with films like Demon Slayer, I believe last year or the year before. Uh, yeah, I, I rank Suzume above this film. Uh, I did see Godzilla minus one, and I thought that was great. You know, I was sad not to include it on my best list of the year, and it would it probably was number six in a list of five. Yeah, no, I think there's just uh, an appetite for uh, Japanese language films now, whether they're anime or live action, like the Godzilla film. Uh, and they're just getting better by leaps and bounds. Uh, I would implore you to watch Suzume because I think a lot of people haven't seen it. Uh, it released, I think, in January of this year, at least here in the States. And it has not had a physical re release yet. It'll get a Blu-ray release in March, but you can find it right now in Crunchyroll. It's on Crunchyroll. Is it on any other streaming services? No, no. That's another reason why I think nobody's talking about it. It, it got a lot of buzz when it first released and it was a limited release. So like, you know, uh, my wife and I went out of our way to go see it and we loved it. Uh, but yeah, I just think it's not getting the sort of release that The Boy and the Heron is getting. Yeah, The Boy and the Heron uh, has, was a mainstream movie. Again, it was number one at the box office. That was a, an incredible week where The Boy and the Heron and Godzilla Minus One were at the top of the charts. Unfortunately, they've been replaced as we talk by Wonka. Um, and, and they're probably not coming back. Uh, Wonka is not, not as good as either of these movies, uh, honestly. Um, but you can, you can still see all of these movies, um, right now in theaters. And, you know, it's a good thing. It's been a good year, uh, at the movies, Pablo, you know, your, your best genre film roundup that you did for us, you know, pointed out to me again, that it's just been Every week, just about, there's been something fun and, uh, you know, and creative to go see at the movies. A packed year, a uh, packed holiday season. Like, I'm struggling to get out there and see everything that I want to see. 
I still have about three or four films that I probably will go see next week that I just need to catch up on. But yes, totally agree. It's been a great year for film. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. You know, I've got I've got my Alamo uh, season pass, and I'm sure you do as well. And I just I just try to load as much as I can onto the, onto the slate. It's the only way. I can't imagine doing this without that. I, I pretty much have an entirely uh, all popcorn diet at this point. <laughs> just a lot of a lot of butter and salt in me right now. A lot of fiber. A lot of, I get a lot of. I get a lot of fiber. I ate two bowls of it during the Boy and the Heron. All right, Pablo Gallaga, thank you so much. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Neil. All right. Thank you so much, Pablo Gallaga, for talking to me about The Boy and the Heron in theaters now. Also, thanks to London Faust for talking to me about Godzilla Minus One, also in theaters now. And for Stephen Garrett's weekly appearance. He talked to me about Wonka, which is also in theaters now, giving everybody uh, diabetes or at least pre-diabetes. I am Neil Pollock. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much, much more. It is high holiday movie season. Please go see your movies. Please uh, don't be afraid to go out in public and enjoy works of art with other people, even if they are making loud noises in the seats next to you. You won't regret it. You won't forget it. And you won't forget listening to this podcast. And I will talk to you next week. Original Production.